I don't suppose any of us will ever forget this week. On Wednesday evening, we experienced some of the most dramatic thunderstorms some of us can remember, with rain lashing the streets of our village and beyond. Trees were felled, travel hugely disrupted. And the great majority of us came through what we thought might have been the aftermath of the storms to vote. The storms had not finished with us. Brooding again in the afternoon, we received another deluge. And then as we woke on Friday morning to news of the result of the EU referendum, a bright and sunny day ensued. Such extremes of weather have a way of reflecting our divergent spirits. Moving from thundercloud and sunshine and back again created, I think, a natural sense that something momentous was almost literally in the air. That forces perhaps made silent had been unleashed. As Jesus sat among the temple courts of Jerusalem, telling the parable that we just heard, read, We're not told what the weather held that day. But there was thunder in the air at that time too. For the climate was turning against him. The parable was spoken on the Tuesday of Holy Week. That is to say, three days before he was crucified. The chief priests and the elders were looking for the final pieces of evidence that would complete their case against Jesus. They wanted to know who he was, what he claimed, what he was envisaging. He had no manifesto. Instead, he told them a story. A story, a parable, an analogy. He compared a kingdom to a vineyard. No ordinary kingdom, but God's. God, the landlord, in the story. The farmers he put in charge, well, they were the chief priests and the elders, the Jewish religious leaders of that time. The landlord wanted his kingdom to be everything that it could be, as productive as possible. He built walls to keep out scavenging scavenging animals. He built a watchtower for security, And he sent servants into the vineyard to collect his fruit and dug a wine press that the fruit might be tasted and enjoyed in all its goodness. Perhaps one of the things that we've learned this week is that as Great Britain and Northern Ireland, we don't share a single view of what is goodness. We respect democracy, I think, But what is good for one of us is very definitely not good for another or another after that. So perceptions of what is good for our nation are, we now understand, very different. Not everyone has benefited from our EU membership in the same way or at all. Edinburgh is not Burnley and Westminster not Wigan. Not everyone has felt the the effects of austerity to the same extent. Not everyone has had open access to the same educational or career opportunities. 
If I have very little, then I have perhaps very little to lose. When my steelworks are gone and the hope of alternative employment has gone with them, what more, what more can be taken from me? The status quo for some has been an exciting future of opportunity. For others, a reason for revolution. Fearing a continuation of a regime that has alienated them and damaged what they once had. But what we all have in common is that we have all rejected God's notion of the good kingdom. The kingdom that produces fruit for God. What do I mean by that? That rejection. Well, the religious leaders in that parable provide one example of how God can be rejected. By punishing those who do not conform to their practices, the servants who are beaten for speaking an uncomfortable truth from God. By maintaining rituals and practices that excluded others and made them somehow the superior people. By seeking the inheritance of the Son, Jesus, in the vineyard analogy, for their own greedy purposes. We too, as church, can reject God's kingdom by our very religiosity when it comes, or in those ways or others, when it becomes ritualistic, excluding, or self-serving. So the religious leaders give that example of how we may reject God. And we, we may provide the other example. For we too can reject God's kingdom by believing that our kingdom takes priority over his. The United Kingdom, the Scottish Kingdom, the European Kingdom. These type of kingdoms are defined not by God, but by humankind, by power, money, and history. And we reject God by then building our own walls to keep the scavengers out, installing our own watchtowers, producing fruit not for God but for ourselves, taking his inheritance and making it our own. The Bible teaches us that the kingdom that God wants is borderless. It is united by love and it is supremely generous-hearted. Yet we all have rejected God for his, and his good kingdom for kingdoms of our own construction. And you know, on that Thursday afternoon last as that rain fell in such bucket loads, I was with the local family and their friends at a graveside in the rain. The burial, the burial of a woman whose life we had celebrated in church as fruit for God. Her love of family, lifetime of faith, artistic gifts and spirit-filled nature were all the signs that were needed of that fruitfulness. And as I stood there, I was reminded that the voting slips being completed in the village hall next door should not be what defines us. 
It might feel like that now, but not if we look beyond our walls at God's world. So how did God respond to this rejection of him and his son? What would we do if the tenants of our vineyard had badly treated the servants, stolen from us and put to death those we'd sent to intervene? We would put the vineyard under new management too. And that's what God did. The very one they'd rejected, God put in charge. Jesus describes himself here as the cornerstone in a reference to Psalm 118. The stone around which all others are laid. The one it all hinges upon. If we build our own kingdoms without him, then we invite judgment against us. That's the message Jesus gives here. When enough people believe a regime has failed, they put it under new management, whether it's a football club, a business, or whatever it has to be, even a country. 52% of the electorate did that on Thursday, a 48% did not. Because for some, the new management for the kingdom on these islands doesn't look very new at all. Whereas others feel at least it's ours, at least it's accountable to us. We here today are citizens of this country, of course, but we're also, the great majority of us, Christians. So what virtues, what values should shape our response to living under new national management? Well, I think the answer is that it's more imperative than ever that our response takes its lead from Jesus Christ. Archbishops Justin and John on Friday tried to interpret that in their terms and issued a joint statement, a tiny extract from which I read now. We have a common task, they wrote, to build a generous and forward-looking country, contributing to human flourishing around the world. We must remain hospitable and compassionate. Builders of bridges and not barriers. Many of those living among us and alongside us as neighbours, friends and work colleagues come from overseas and some will feel a deep sense of insecurity. We must respond by offering reassurance, by cherishing our wonderful, wonderfully diverse society and by affirming the unique contribution of each and every one. Those words are worth reflecting on during the week and you can find them in full at the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Archbishop of York's websites. That's a little of what being under new management might mean for us as Christians. To seek to be as Christ in his vineyard bearing fruit for him. Now, we should not underestimate the challenge of any of this. I'm sure we don't. As citizens, we're living today, here now, with our own feelings of joy, indifference, shared uncertainty, and bitter disappointment. For some, this is the sweet end of a very long campaigning road. For others, a sudden 
and unexpected darkening of the future. There is so much to overcome if our country is not to become one where the divisions that this week has highlighted become infinitely deeper. Intolerance runs the risk of being hardened on both sides of the argument and listening becoming further diminished. And as Christians, you and I, those who might be seen as the tenants of his church and his kingdom, much is expected of us. So how do we bear fruit in this very changed context? Well, perhaps one of the most important things that the parable does is remind us that the purpose of the vineyard is to bear fruit for the landlord. Jesus makes it clear that whether we're tenants or servants, we're to fall under his management of the kingdom and bear fruit for him. Now, over time, we will do that. We will do that not within the walls of a kingdom of our own construction, but within the will of God. Not by continuing division in geography, race, religion, wealth, education, and generation, but by seeking understanding and unity of purpose. Not by inflicting injury or revenge, but by promoting generosity and healing. Not by judging others, but by being prepared to ourselves stand under God's judgment. Not by relying on ourselves, but by putting Jesus as the cornerstone of our reconstruction. Even as I was writing this talk, Yesterday, the afternoon thunder still rumbled, and it will continue to rumble. The difficulties of finding a way forward for our nation will continue to emerge. The consequences of our choice will become more apparent. Some may pleasantly surprise us, others dismay us. Yet there are also opportunities. I think we must pray, first, for our leaders, for politicians to connect with the electorate is no longer only desirable. It is essential if democratic progress and representation is to be meaningful and restored. And second, something we can all do for us as a nation and families and communities to connect with each other, grandparent with grandchild, Kensington with Keithley, Christian with Muslim, and for ourselves as Christians that we might tend the vineyard that Jesus described, not by rejecting the landlord, but by growing in understanding of him, obedience of him, and love for one another. Amen. I'm going to close with a prayer offered 
this week by the Church of England. It's a prayer of reconciliation for the country. Let's pray. Eternal God, light of all nations, in Christ you make all things new. Guide our nation, we pray, in the coming days through the inspiration of your Spirit, that understanding may put an end to discord and all bitterness. Give us grace to rebuild bonds of trust that together we may work for the dignity and the flourishing of all. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.